Today's episode contains violent descriptions of sexual acts against children. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the BFD bonus episode. We are now practicing this brand new thing that we're going to try out for a little bit and see if our listeners really appreciate having a midweek bonus episode. Say hi, Darcy. Darcy's my co-host for the hello, day. Hello, hello. And I'm Sarah, as usual. Um, this is the great little podcast where we talk about all the strange, weird, bizarre, fascinating details. This one, we're actually going to talk about a related case that has some somewhat has to do with our case that we did earlier in the week. We're going to talk about Stephen Stainer, who is the younger brother that was kidnapped, um, the younger brother of Carrie Stainer, the gentleman that was convicted of murdering the four people in and around Yosemite National Park. Let's start out with a little information here. Stephen Gregory Stainer was born April 18, 1965. He was an American kidnapping victim. He was abducted on December 4, 1972, at the age of seven in Merced, California. So the reason that we're kind of getting into this a little bit is it is a little bit different than our traditional kind of true crime and murder cases. And this is the younger brother of Carrie Stainer, who claimed that all of the attention that his little brother got sort of influenced him and made him feel alone and neglected and deprived and unloved while his parents were off looking for his little brother. Um, I think blah, we, blah, blah. Right. we've all kind of heard and, and understand that that was probably not the case because he has admitted to having violent fantasies and, and angry tendencies before his little brother was kidnapped. But I felt like because we went on to the side note of talking about Steven Stainer, that it would be a good idea for us to devote one of these mini episodes to talking about him because he's a very interesting kid. And I think some of the stuff that he did during the course of his very short life was um, he was considered a hero by many. But let me just get into some of the more detail behind this. He was kidnapped by child molester Kenneth Parnell. He was held by his abductor about 200 miles away in in Mendocino, California, or Mendocino County, California, until he was 14. He was... Got it so long. ...returned to his family after he was discovered while returning another one of Parnell's victims, Timothy White, to his own family. So... Stainer was the third of five children born to Delbert and Kay Stainer in Merced, California. He had three sisters and one older brother, Carrie. Um, And it says, obviously, in 2002, Carrie was convicted and sentenced to death for the 1999 murders of four women. We talked about that in the last episode, so we don't need to really get into detail on that. But on the afternoon of December 4th, 1972, Stainer was approached on his way home from school by a man named Irvin Edward Murphy, who had, who had become acquainted with convicted child rapist Kenneth Parnell, as they both worked at a resort in Yosemite National Park. So again, we have a little bit of a tie-in to our National Parks episode. Murphy... Oh, that's interesting. Right? Murphy was described as the people, by the people who knew him as trusting, naive, and simple-minded. He had actually been enlisted by Parnell, who passed himself off to Murphy as an aspiring minister into helping 
Parnell abduct a young boy so that he could raise him in a religious type deal, as Murphy later stated. So basically he took this poor kind of mentally disabled, mentally challenged man and convinced him that he was a pastor and that basically he needed a young boy to raise in a religious type lifestyle. And this guy believed him because he didn't really understand um, that there are sick people out there who do shit like this. But acting. If on anybody the- tells you they need a boy to raise in a, in a religious lifestyle, so you know, they you need to call the police. Hard pass. Anytime yeah. something like that happens. But basically, acting on instructions from Parnell, the fucking sicko, Murphy passed out gospel tracts to boys walking home from school that day. And after spotting Stainer, he claimed to be a church representative seeking donations. Stainer later claimed that Murphy asked him if his mother would be willing to donate any items to the church. When the boy replied that he, she would, Murphy then asked Stainer where he lived and if he would be willing to take Murphy to his home. So this young kid, you know, six, seven years old, says sure and agrees. Yeah, I'll take you home to my house. So he gets in the white, at the, sorry, take a step back here. He says, yeah, I'll take you home, and we'll talk to my mom about donating these items. But after Stainer agrees to take him home, a white Buick driven by Parnell pulls up, and Stainer climbs into the car with Murphy. Parnell then drives the confused Stainer to his nearby cabin in Kathy's Valley instead. Unbeknownst to Stainer, Parnell's cabin was located only several hundred feet from his maternal grandfather's residence. So he really had no concept of where he was, and and he was young. So he really couldn't understand or know that anyway. But Parnell molested Stainer on the first night of the cabin and began raping him 13 days later on December 17, 1972. After telling Parnell that he wanted to go home many times that during that first week, Parnell told Stainer that he had been granted legal custody of the boy because his parents could not afford so many children and they didn't want him anymore, which is the super fucked up part about it. So and, he clearly had to have known something about him to know that his parents had so many kids. Yeah, well, he'd clearly been watching the house or maybe stalking him right. or sort of like checking things out or maybe um, Stainer had told him about himself. And, hey, I have this. Or maybe he'd ask questions because he's sort of grooming this boy to be his own. But he started calling Stephen Dennis Gregory Parnell. So he retained Stainer's real middle name and his real birth date when enrolling him in various schools over the next several years. So he basically decided at that point, I'm going to raise you as my son. I'm changing your first and last name. You still get to keep your middle name. But everything else is the same. And he puts him in school. Parnell passed himself off as Stainer's father, and the two moved frequently around California, living in locations including Santa Rosa and Com- Comptiche. I've never seen that before. Sure. <laughs> it's C-O-M-T-C-H-E. I've never heard of that place before. Who knows? So Parnell allowed Stainer to begin drinking at a young age and to come and go virtually as he pleased. Parnell also bounced from one menial job to another. Some of his work required traveling and leaving Stainer unguarded causing an adult Stainer to remark he could have easily used one of these absences as an opportunity to flee, but was unaware of how to summon help. One of the few positive aspects of Stainer's life with Parnell was the dog he received as a gift from him, a Manchester Terrier that he named Queenie. This dog had been given to Parnell by his mother, who was not aware of Stainer's existence during the period when he was living with Parnell. So the mom gave him the dog, and he didn't know that her sick-ass molester son had this kid living with him. But fortunately he was able to, to kind of have that dog and use that as some, some of a comfort. 
For a period of 18 months, a woman named Barbara Mathis lived with Parnell and Stainer. So another woman lived there with them, and still no one had any clue that this was, like, not legit, which is frightening. Mm. According to Stainer, Mathias, or Mathis, along with Parnell, raped him. What the fuck? So this woman was a sicko, too. So according to Stainer, Mathis, along with Parnell, raped him on nine separate occasions at the age of nine. In 1975, on Parnell's instruction, Mathis tried to lure another young boy who was in Santa Rosa Boys Club with Stainer into Parnell's car. The attempt was unsuccessful. Mathis later claimed to have been completely unaware that Dennis had, in fact, been kidnapped. I find that hard to believe. What do you think? Yeah, I think that that's like, you. Th- there's things you don't want to see. So you know you're I mean? raping this kid or you're with completely this man. In on it. You're raping this kid with this man and you don't, you think that's just his son and that makes it better. Like I'm baffled. Absolutely baffled. As Stainer started to get closer to puberty, Parnell obviously started to look for younger children to kidnap because he was a disgusting pedophile who only really wanted to be with young boys, which is, I think, not unusual for pedophiles. Um, Once they're victim in, in hearing the cases that I've heard of once the victim starts to hit puberty and get turned into a man, then the interest lags and eventually ends. And then they move on to another young victim. Parnell had used Stainer to attempt to kidnap children on prior occasions. However, all were unsuccessful causing Parnell to believe Stainer lacked the means to be an accomplice. Stainer Stainer later revealed he intentionally sabotaged these failed kidnappings. Uh, I hope so. Yeah. On February 14th, 1980, Parnell and a teenage friend of Stainer's named Randall Sean Poorman kidnapped five-year-old Timothy White in Ukiah. Motivated in part by the young boy's distress, Stainer decided to return the boy to his parents. So he kidnapped this five-year-old this time. So seven-year-old the first time and then five-year-old the second time. Just fucking disgusting. But Stainer luckily was not influenced by this bastard and decided, hey, I'm going to help this kid get back to his parents. On March 1st, 1980, while Parnell was away at his night security job, Stainer left with White and hitchhiked to Ukiah. Unable to locate the boy's home address, he decided to have White walk into the police station to ask for help without him. However, police officers spotted and detained both boys. Stainer immediately identified White, then revealed his own true identity and story. Can you imagine Mm -hmm. if you were the police officer on fucking duty that night? How fucking crazy that would be? By daybreak, March 2nd, 1980, Parnell had been arrested on suspicion of abducting both boys. Um, And then when the police checked into his background, they found previous sodomy conviction in uh, one previous sodomy conviction in 1951. So he had a criminal history, but it was old as Fuck. Both, yeah. both children were reunited with their families that day. In 81, Parnell was tried and convicted of kidnapping White and Stainer in two separate trials. He was sentenced to seven years, but was paroled after serving five. Unbelievable. Right? So here's the deal. Parnell was not charged with numerous sexual assaults on Stainer and other boys because most of them occurred outside the jurisdiction of the Merced County prosecutor or were then outside the statute of limitations. So basically, Parnell had been running around sexually assaulting young boys for decades. God, that's so awful. The Mendocino County prosecutors, acting almost entirely alone, decided not to prosecute Parnell for sexual assaults that occurred in their jurisdiction, likely due to belief that they were protecting Stainer because rape and molestation victims were seen as damaged goods. Back then, they really were. This was in the 80s, right? Yeah. they may, they may have also felt they were respecting Stainer's parents' reluctance to discuss Parnell's crimes because of the stigma of male sexual abuse. 
Murphy and Poorman, who had helped abduct White, were convicted of larger char- of lesser charges. Both claimed they knew nothing of the sexual assaults on Stainer. Matthias was never arrested. What? Despite helping with that shit. Stainer remembered the kindness <laughs> Uncle Murphy showed had shown him during the first week of captivity while they were both under the influence of Parnell's manipulation. He believed that Murphy was as much Parnell's victim as he and Timmy were. Stainer's kidnapping and its aftermath prompted California lawmakers to change state laws to allow consecutive prison terms in similar abduction cases. Fuck. Okay, so this is where things get a little hazy. So after he returns to his family, Stainer has trouble adjusting to a more structured household as he's been allowed to smoke, drink, and do as he pleased while he lived with Parnell. So basically, Parnell let him do whatever the fuck he wanted to do and, like, influenced him to smoke and drink at a very, very young age. So he had trouble, yeah, and he had obviously. stopped abusing him after a while. So he kind of was just living in this house, doing whatever he wanted for a long time. Yeah, pretty much. So in an interview with Newsweek, a little bit after his escape, he said, I returned almost a grown man, and yet my parents saw me at, at first as their seven-year-old. After they stopped yeah. trying to teach me the fundamentals all over again, it got better. But why doesn't my dad hug me anymore? Everything has changed. Sometimes I blame myself. That's so sad. I don't know sometimes if I should have come home. Would I have been better off if I didn't? God, that's awful. So that's he, so sad. he basically underwent counseling but didn't really seek a whole lot of treatment after a first couple of sessions. So, And he refused to talk about the details of the sexual abuse he endured with Parnell. In a 2007 interview, Stainer's sister Corey said that her brother didn't seek counseling because their father said he didn't need any. She added, Mm. he, Stephen, got on with his life, but he was pretty messed up. He was teased by other children at school for being molested and eventually dropped out. He began to drink frequently and was eventually kicked out of the family home. His relationship with his father remained strained. But fortunately, um, in 1985, Stainer married 17-year-old Jody Edmondson. So he did get married, and they had two children together. He worked with child abduction groups, spoke to children about his about personal safety, and gave interviews about his kidnapping. He also joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints just before his death. Um, at the time of his death, Stainer was living in Merced and working at a pizza shop. On September 16th, and this is a really sad part of this whole freaking story, is on December 16th, 1989, Stainer sustained fatal head injuries while on his way home from work when his motorcycle collided with a car. And he died on that mm-hmm. day. 500 people attended his funeral, at which 14-year-old Timmy White was a pallbearer. It's just so funny. And how up. old was he when he died? Like in his 20s, 89, right? 89, so... Yeah, he was very... 24? Young. Yeah, 24. Wow. Just super That's sad. So sad. But because he helped that little boy basically escape, he, a lot of people hailed him as a hero. Here's kind of the aftermath of this. Ten years after Stainer's death, the city of Merced asked its residents to propose names for city parks honoring Merced's notable citizens. Stainer's uh, parents proposed one be named Stainer Park. This idea was eventually rejected. I wouldn't say Stainer. It's got to be more specific because, like, really, your whole family gets credit for this. Um, and they, well, they also, and it was rejected because of Perry. Right. But in 2004, Parnell, then 72 years old, was convicted of trying the previous year to persuade his nurse to procure for him a young boy for $500. Fuck. The nurse aware of Parnell's past reported this to local police. Timmy White, then a grown man, was subpoenaed in in to testify in Parnell's criminal trial. Although Stainer was dead, the testimony at Parnell's earlier trial was read to jurors as evidence of Parnell's 2004 trial. 
Parnell died of natural causes January 21st, 2008 at the California Medical Facility in Vacaville, California, while serving a sentence of 25 years to life. So that fucker couldn't keep his old ass crusty dick in his pants. So he was free for a while, but ended up going back to jail and dying there of natural causes. Good riddance. Natural um, causes too. It's disgusting, though, right? He should have been violated horribly, and I hope he was when he was in jail. But White, Timmy White, later became a Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department deputy. Unfortunately, though, oh, he, he, he died April first, two thousand ten, at the age of thirty-five from pulmonary embolism. Wow. So, nearly five months later, on August twenty-eighth, two thousand ten, a statue of Stainer and White was dedicated in Applegate Park in Merced. Residents of Ukiah, White's hometown, carved a statue showing teen as teenage stainer with the young White in hand while escaping their captivity. I just got the chills. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah, we should post that picture. It's a nice it's a nice statue. Yeah. It's also cut like it's just one of those things that reminds me of the Wineville chicken coop murders, you know? Yes. Yeah, and there's a book what the so the the man it's a it's a terrible story. The man who was doing this he also kidnapped, I believe it's his nephew and my cousin, but from Canada. I just want to say, so he, this, 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 this nephew or this relative survives and he writes this book. Um, he goes back to Canada and it's called, um, the road out of hell. And it's, it's a hard book. Like I read a lot of really rough stuff and it's, it's a pretty hard book to get but through. That but that particular case is so interesting to me. Like it's yeah. just, it's so gris- gruesome and grisly that i want to do an episode on it for sure so let's not like get into too much detail about that on here yeah it's just always one of those that makes me think of it because it's like central valley california and Mm. they're like i don't know like 60 70 years apart right um, and another kidnapping victim used to lure other people and like there are a whole lot of elements in that that you it really makes you think about how sick these fucks are that they can convince these poor innocent children to help them accomplish these crimes it's disgusting right yeah, it's really sad. Yeah. And the tragedy that it does to the... And I believe the kid that that helped him do all this, he eventually got free too, right? Yeah, he does. he's the one who wrote the book. Yeah. And he was the one from Canada. Uh-huh. Very, very interesting. And it's, it, it's particularly highlighted recently when we have so many cases that just keep popping up with these children that are kidnapped and eventually found. Like Elizabeth Smart, right. like um, J.C. Duggar, like all these victims that are now like these cases where these kidnappers find these ch- small children and kidnap them and keep them for years and years and years. And yeah, it's it's really quite frightening. But little Stephen Stainer, it's really sad that he went through all that. Um, and it highlights one of the many cases from yeah. the time period where I really believe that as a society, we failed young boys and young girls horribly because I think in instances like that, where he was out in public and people saw him with this dude, no one said anything, no one suspected anything. And people just kind of were like, Hey, that's their business. Yeah. I'm not going to get involved. Right. Like that's, that's, they're probably just having like a father son fight or something. Like, yeah. I mean, you just don't identify. Well, cause, and, and to be fair, like how often do you, like expect to see that you know what I mean like it's not like every time I go to a mall and see a family fighting I'm like is that really their kid like, I don't think it's not even about just fighting necessarily like his teachers had to have noticed that something wasn't right 
because oftentimes he yeah. was enrolled in school almost immediately. And it seems as though when children are undergoing psychological, physical, and emotional stress related to that kind of thing, they exhibit all kinds of symptoms many times. Right. So like right. the fact that no it's one such noticed a tragic this, story. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And the fact that he just died at such a young age after suffering through a good portion of his life, that sick fuck. Yeah. So he was kidnapped at age seven, returned at 14. So half his life at that point was spent with this dude. Yep. This child, this convicted child. And those child are formative mostly. years. Like that's when you're learning how to be like a man. Yeah. And it's just, it's tragic that both the boys that were involved in that particular case ended up dying relatively young. I know. I didn't know about Timothy White. No, he, that was in 2010 that he passed away as yeah. well. Wow. And it just makes me sick that Carrie Stainer, that psycho bastard, would try to use his little brother as an excuse for his own just intolerable actions and insanity. Right. It's like, don't bring other people into your crazy, in, insane world. Right. Like, don't blame other people for the fucked up things you choose to do. Okay, so let's talk about this case. Oh, my God. Baby cut from teen mother's womb in Chicago opens eyes for the first time oh, being yeah. held by dad. And this is incredibly tragic as well. But I believe this teenage girl died from this wound. But like, she did. Who the fuck does that? Like, cut Unfortunately, a baby from somebody's like womb. Unfortunately, it's common. It's incredible. It was a It's not like super girl. common, but it's. It seems like it's, it's popping not up. Like a rare thing. It really seems like yeah. it's popping up a late a lot lately. I think there and was the a- the woman who did it had been faking a pregnancy for months, and that's typically like the people that kind of do this kind of thing is like for whatever reason I don't know if they just make up the pregnancy completely or if maybe they miscarry early and they don't want to talk about it, but they pretend that they're pregnant, and so then does- when it comes time to where they actually show or it's time to actually give birth, they have to come up with a baby. And, and it's so like they end up doing something unbelievable like that. that their partners don't ever catch on <laughs> for the most part. You know what I mean? Like how the fuck does your yeah. husband yeah. or boyfriend or whatever not catch on to the fact that you are not really pregnant? I have no idea. I think men probably are just in general around pregnancy are kind of like, hey, Squeamish I don't know. I don't know how this works. You tell me what to do. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I know that after about nine, ten months, something pops out of there and then we're something all happens. Good to go. So like if I don't have to You're watch something in there. If I don't have to watch all that pop out of there, I'm I'm good. But right. I, I believe it was also an episode of I Survived about a similar case, but that, that girl actually survived the slang. This woman kept her in yeah. her apartment and played movies for her and just can you imagine? Can you oh, imagine? I think that one was in Texas, right? This one, this last one was in Chicago. The other one, I believe. Yeah, was, the one you're talking about. Yeah, but I don't think that was in Texas. I think it was like in the inner city. Oh, was it not? Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm not sure f- for sure, but like maybe we'll have to have a, a case where we talk about that in a little bit more detail because uh-huh. it seems like there have been like at least three or four of them that have kind of popped up into the news in recent times. And it's like. Right. Holy shit. And it's like they, like people post something of like, hey, I have baby stuff to give away. And then you have these mothers who are like, let me buy this baby stuff on the Facebook market. Right. And then. Or on like Craigslist. I mean, it's like Craigslist. Like don't, yeah. Like always be careful if you're trying to sell something or buy something online. Meet like in a public parking lot. Or I've heard of people like meeting at, in an actual police 
station parking lot, yeah. which is a great idea, I think. I mean, I've always drugs, which met you wouldn't with want somebody with you, with me. I've never, don't ever meet anyone alone. Don't ever tell them where your address yeah, my is. my dad. And never let them come to your house. Like, no, ever. Absolutely ever. never, never ever, ever. Tell them where you live. Yeah, my dad was selling a car. Um, and he was, like, meeting people. And I was like, Dad, like, I'm not a gun person. Like, we talked about in the last episode. I carry a knife. He, w- he would bring his gun. And he would meet, like, in a police station parking lot. And that was, like, I was <laughs> not comfortable with the idea in general. But, like, that made me more comfortable, you know? But I think also scary, to kind of um, and highlighting and bringing back to the case that we just talked about with Steven Stainer, teach your kids, teach your kids about what's right yeah. and what's not right. Don't be the stick your head in the sand kind of a parent who's like, hey, yeah. everything's going to be fine. I'll just let other people take care of all this shit. Talk to your kids about that and give them instruction. Like there have been numerous children who's had their life saved by learning how to kick the back light out on a car so that they can alert somebody in the trunk of a car if they've been kidnapped or stuffed into a trunk. And I know it sounds crazy and I know it sounds really dark and you don't want to have to talk about those things and deal with those things, but you could potentially save your child's life by giving them instruction. And if you don't feel comfortable with it, there are plenty of courses, articles, books, instructors online that would be more than happy to take that task out of your hands and work with you to teach your child how to respond to a situation like that. Because unfortunately, we are bombarded with that in our society now. Yeah, the world is awful. And don't avoid a conversation because it's difficult. Yeah, if you have trouble talking about it, fine. Have somebody else talk to them about it. Right. I had a car um, before my current car. It was like a 2003 Ford Taurus, mm-hmm. and it had a recall on it for the little trunk popper hatchy thing. Mm-hmm. For like, if you're locked in the trunk, it had a recall. And I was like, Jesus Christ, how do you like find out that that's defaultive, like defective? I don't like, even know. <laughs> I don't want to be the person that realized scary. that's defective and had to call the cause a recall. Yeah. <laughs> frightening in any case that will wrap up today's little bonus episode i want to thank darcy for being on the show for taking time out of her schedule to record an extra episode with me this week i know she's super super busy um please rate review and subscribe folks and check out our social media darcy we are at the bfd podcast on twitter and instagram and our social or our G- uh, email is what? Just the BFD podcast the BFD podcast gmail.com. We will put that in the show notes, yeah. folks. Along with some And we of the- love your comments and your emails and keep sending them because they're awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. We'll put some of the pictures for some of the stuff. There's a lot of great pictures involved with all of these cases. We'll throw those up on the Instagram um, so you can kind of put some faces with the names and the stories that we've shared with you guys. But until next time, please (laughs) join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky and wild stuff or join us for our next bonus episode. Good night podcast peeps. Stay safe. Keep it real. And always live your very best life. Bye. Bye.